This is an Odyssey original. This is War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. President Biden goes across the Atlantic to meet with NATO allies in Brussels to talk about the war in Ukraine. He's floating the idea of more sanctions and strengthening the sanctions already issued to prevent Russia from getting around them. Also today, allegations of Russian war crimes in Ukraine, sending more American troops to the Eastern European positions. And we go back to Ukraine to talk about a dog, uh, an Instagram famous dog with her owners. They got out of Kiev. They're trying to stay safe. The FBI warning that Russian cyber hackers are cyber casing some energy companies and other big businesses here in the U.S. How destructive could Russian cyber attacks be? And are we prepared to defend against them and even retaliate? We start with President Biden meeting with NATO allies. CBS News reporter Stephen Portnoy is in Brussels now. Stephen, what are the uh, priorities out of this meeting for the president and the other leaders of NATO countries? It is a packed schedule, Charles. Tomorrow, the president is going to have a very long day. He's just about to arrive here in Brussels, where it is shortly after 9 p.m. here in Central Europe. The president is going to be meeting tomorrow with the NATO allies. He's going to be meeting with the G7 partners. He's going to be meeting with the European Union as well. And then in the evening, he's going to hold a press conference here. So this is all part of an effort on the White House's part to demonstrate, along with the president's counterparts, that the Western world stands united, looking east to Moscow and essentially staring down Vladimir Putin. The White House has said that the president wants to accomplish a few things here. One, he's going to announce, as you've suggested, new sanctions, along with the G7, NATO, and EU partners. Two, he's going to announce measures to strengthen the existing sanctions to avoid the opportunity for other countries to help Russia skirt them. And uh, three, he's going to talk about ways that Russia can reduce its dependence on, uh, rather, Europe can reduce its dependence on Russian energy sources such as coal, oil, and natural gas. We can also add a number four to that, right, which is preparing for what could happen after this. you got to prepare for the here and now. you got to work out what you're doing. But if Russia moves against some other country, if it uses chemical or biological weapons, they've got to kind of get ready and outline what their reaction is going to be so they don't have to decide it then. Before the president left Washington this morning, Mike, he was asked how real this prospect is of Russia using chemical or, biolog- or, or, or biological weapons in Ukraine. And he said it, he, he views it as a real threat. Uh, the uh, president is also expected to uh, discuss the potential for a new NATO force posture in Eastern Europe. And this goes to what you were talking about in the lead up to the segment, the idea that uh, options are being presented to the president to perhaps move more American troops to the eastern flank countries that are part of the NATO alliance. When he's here in Europe, On Friday, the president is expected to travel to Poland. And part of the schedule has the president either on Friday or Saturday meeting with some American troops who happen to be in in this area. Uh, The White House says he'll be engaging with those troops and thanking them for uh, what they're doing, which at the moment is uh, essentially bolstering uh, the, the NATO alliance and giving assurance to the NATO partners. And he's also going to be paying attention on Friday and Saturday to the humanitarian crisis that has developed as a result of Putin's unprovoked aggression on Ukraine. Millions of people have had to flee that country and are being embraced by their neighbors. You know, we're talking about uh, 
the the allies being uh, together on this, and and this is of course a show of support with the president being there, but they're not together on on all things, right? I mean, when it comes to gas and oil uh, exports uh, from uh, Russia into Western Europe, countries like Germany are reluctant to really toe the line when it comes to that because it's going to hurt their economy. Is that uh, part of the president's agenda to try to convince more reluctant Western allies that they need to be maybe even harder on Russia? This will be a key part of the president's statements when he makes them starting tomorrow at NATO uh, and also uh, with the EU. This idea of reducing Europe's dependence on Russian sources of energy. Uh, the White House so far has not been able to offer much in the way of specifics, except to say that the U.S. stands ready to provide more in the way of liquefied natural gas to Europe. Uh, so it, it has less of a reliance on, on Russia. But there's no doubt that uh, it's difficult. And the White House acknowledges this, the difficulty in uh, trying to convince Europe to turn off the spigot. Because, you know, for Europe to, to thrive, it needs to rely on that source of energy. CBS News correspondent Stephen Portnoy in Brussels. Stephen, thank you. We've been hearing from regular people in Ukraine sharing their experiences during the war. Before it all started, Christina, Eugene, and their uh, rescue dog, famous rescue dog, Chapati, were traveling the world documenting their experiences. Chapati, they say, is the world's most traveled dog, visiting 40 countries already and becoming a star on Instagram. But since the war started, the three had to leave Kiev to a safer place in the country and put their lives on hold. Christina and Eugene are with us now. The dog, unfortunately, can't join us for this interview. Uh, Christina and Eugene, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having us. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hello. So tell us a little bit about, uh, I I presume that you're somewhere in western Ukraine now uh, because it's safer there, but maybe not. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Japati and uh, what that story is all about. So we are in Kropivnitsky right now, right in the middle of Ukraine. It's safely here, so that's why we flew to this place. About Chapati, she's a rescued dog from India. Five years ago, we went for a huge trip, like nine-month trip with a uh, one-way ticket to India. And we found her right on the second day, being on that huge trip. And we found her as a dying puppy, and we couldn't stand by. We couldn't just walk past her, and we wanted to help. That's why we took her and started to nurse her back to life. And uh, shortly we understood that it's our dog and uh, we are doomed to be together. We took her and started our travels. And uh, it all happened step by step, country by country. And then we made an Instagram account named her Traveling Chapati. And that was our destiny to travel together and to share the stories. That is so sweet. It's such a great story. And, and 40 countries, is that right? That's that's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's the record holder of India and Ukraine and the most traveled dog. <laughs> okay, so now, of course, uh, your, your traveling has come to a rather abrupt end, I take it, at least for the time being. So tell us what's happening to uh, all of your lives now that the war is ongoing. As you said, our lives stopped. Like, we don't have any nowadays we don't have any future we don't even have a past we just everything broke and uh, we're just living day by day like doing nothing because i mean we're doing some stuff but uh, everything is uh, basically just trying to survive reading news trying to figure out what's gonna happen 
volunteering, but we we are doing nothing for our future because as for now, our lives are stolen. They are stolen from us. How long did it take you to get out of Kiev to where you're you're going and, and, and what is the general plan? I mean, everything is on hold, as you say, but I mean, what is that like to kind of not even know what your next steps are rather than just getting someplace and then trying to be as safe as possible because that place is at least a little bit safer than where you're from? Yeah, we managed to uh, leave Kiev right on the first day after the shelling and all these bombings we uh, had early in the morning. So we just took our belongings, whatever we can uh, pack in one hour, and we left. And uh, after that, everything is just uh, trying to help somehow all uh, our troops and all volunteers who are actually involved very well in everything that's going to happen is happening here. And uh, what we want to do is just to make sure we can, like, we do everything possible to have this uh, war over and uh, the only possibility for Ukraine to stop this war is to win this war because uh, Putin is a guy like a bully who won't stop by himself. All the world needs to be united and uh, staying strong to overcome his uh, crazy ideas. As you know, millions uh, of Ukrainians have left the country. Why have you both elected to uh, stay? Unfortunately, we didn't have um, any options because uh, martial law was applied and uh, it restricts men who are aged between 18 years to 60 years old. These men cannot leave Ukraine. And as Eugene is between this age, he cannot leave Ukraine. So only I and Chapati can do that. But we are not going to live without him <laughs> because we are a family. We are always And it's together. also important to be here, to involve, to help somehow. Because uh, when people like when men flew out of country, it's not going to give any extra moral to the troops. And uh, our army needs to understand that there are people behind them. It's very important for the moral of the army. And is that inspiring to see for you guys too? And when you when you do volunteer and you you notice everybody else is helping out, and and the the streak continues. Every person that we've talked to is doing something to try and help. Every every interview we've had, every person who's who's talked to us. When you Absolutely. see everybody trying so hard, what goes through your mind? We always knew that uh, Ukrainian people will never surrender we will fight back, we, we will fight for our freedom, for our country, because uh, our nation is a nation of brave people who can unite, especially in hard times, during hard times. And yes, we see like everybody is involved, Every, everyone do whatever he can during these hard times. And it's uh, like a, a great uh, story of uh, uh, people who are like fighting to get their lives and uh, their freedom back. We uh, began our discussion talking about uh, your famous dog, Chapati. I'm wondering, you know, animals sometimes can play a role, too, uh, in things like wars. Uh, is Chapati playing a role? Of course she does. I mean, uh, her main role is uh, having all these uh, uh, people who are following her where telling the story because uh, we have an enormous amount of uh, followers from India. And uh, as you may know, India 
is uh, like uh, has uh, such kind of a tricky position in, in this war because they somehow depend depends on the Russia on the Russia military uh, they buy some weaponry from Russia and that's why they're not condemning what's happening here they are trying to be neutral and uh, this is absolutely uh, in the proper position for any country uh, in the civil world. That's why we are talking to our Indian subscribers. We are telling the stories. We are trying to um, involve them and to somehow tell the politicians of India about what's happening here. So because uh, their media, they uh, don't cover the situation that much. Yeah, so at least we uh, use Chapati's uh, social media in order to uh, translate to people the real situation which happens here. Because we understand that in India, they don't have that much news which uh, are showing the real situation. I was on the page going through the comments and there were people who were so worried about you guys because you hadn't posted in a couple days. And they're saying it's been four days. Any updates? What's going on with you? What's that like to have that kind of support coming in or people worried about you from from all over the world? It's uh, amazingly supportive, but, you know, still uh, when a regular person faces war, uh, it's... um, it's a real nightmare and uh, your emotions are like a roller coaster. You can feel uh, dozens of different emotions during even one hour. And there are also different stages of how you perceive the situation. And, you know, at times you can be more um, inspired. inspired and believing that everything is going to be good someday. But unfortunately, at times, uh, you can be really depressed and you can feel helpless. So we had a few of this type of days when we could do nothing, you know? Yeah. Christina, Eugene, our best to you and uh, our best to Chapati, the uh, the Instagram dog. And thanks so much for talking to us and sharing what you're doing there. And, uh, and, and do stay safe. President Biden recently warned companies watch out for the Russian cyber attacks in retaliation for sanctions, the U.S. response to the war in Ukraine. Now the FBI is warning Russian hackers they've been scanning the networks of at least five energy companies and 18 other defense, financial services, and IT firms. This raises questions about how much damage these hackers could do if they gained access to a few of these big companies. With us is cybersecurity expert Damon Petroglia. He's head of the Cyber Crime Center at the Henry Lee College of Criminal Justice. Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven in Connecticut. Thanks for being with us. How dangerous of a situation could this be? Well, it all depends on how you look at it. Um, It could be extremely dangerous and it could be a long-term thing. It all depends on what they might use against us and what we have as far as uh, remediation or uh, security in place. Okay, let's start with the scanning of the networks and the systems, which kind of occurs to me like that's probably something they've done before. This is not their first sweep through, right? These are the Russians. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. They're, they're doing this 24-7. Uh, this is nothing new. Um, so 
I, I think most people don't understand that all all systems are being probed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So this is really nothing new. If there's a warning about it, then there's either been an uptick in a specific type of probe or a variant of a probe, probably. Okay, and uh, and I also presume that we do the same to them and have been doing the same to them for quite some time. So absolutely, yeah. So if if you're a Russian and you want to create havoc here to sort of pay us back for the the sanctions uh, that we've imposed and we've led uh, Western allies to impose on them, what would be the choice targets? Choice targets would would be within the critical infrastructure sector, right? Um, right now, gas prices are through the roof, right? Imagine uh, stopping uh, pipelines at this point. That would, that would create a, a tremendous amount of chaos. Uh, that would be great. Uh, from their perspective. So any one of these critical infrastructure would be a target, but not the critical infrastructure itself. Um, they're probably going to go after the third-party providers and the supply chains. That's what, that's what I would be most concerned about. Would this be a ransomware kind of thing, or would it be just, a, hey, like it's a movie, we're going to hack in and start shutting things down? <laughs> it doesn't usually happen like movies does, but um, I think it would be a combination of types of attacks, and the the ends uh, will will uh, dictate what the means will be. So the type of attack will all be dependent on what is their ultimate goal. Is it just to create havoc? Uh, is it for profit? Depends on what they want out of it. Um, will will dictate what what they use. Uh, against us. I, mean, I was going to say, would it be likely that they would do something, if they were to do something, that would be painfully obvious to, to everybody right away? Or would these be more subtle things that it would take time for lay people to say, wait a minute, there's something funny going on here? Yeah, li- likely more subtle. Um, and, and again, the sophistication of an attack, um, the more sophisticated and less obvious it is, the more expensive and the more resources on the attacker's end those kind of things take. So, uh, again, what is their ultimate goal? Uh, if they want to create something really obvious, um, they, they certainly can. That would be something more simple, like a denial-of-service attack where you know, nobody can get into their systems. Um, but I think, you know, the other thing you have to consider, too, is another country could easily attack and make it look like it's Russian. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're on a goose chase following the wrong leads. I was listening to someone on one of the networks the other day, and they were asking, why has Russia taken so long to do this in Ukraine itself? There were some early ones, but there hasn't been too much cyber warfare, apparently, you know, across that border. Um, and they're supposed to be really, really good at this. Well, they, they are. And so when you think about it, we have nuclear missiles pointed at other countries ready to go. Um, we don't fire them. They're extremely expensive and they're extremely destructive, right? There's reasons that we don't use some of the biggest uh, weapons that we have. Um, so Russia may be uh, holding on to some of the bigger attacks uh, and, and more uh, resource-intensive tools that they have at their disposal uh, rather than 
you know, shooting everything at once, they may be holding that back. Damon Petraglia, head of a cybercrime center, Henry Lee College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Science, University of New Haven. Thanks. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.